always a tough day, and it should always be that way. Anderson, thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We got breaking news tonight. Our asylum laws were just changed by the Supreme Court, and it could keep a lot of people from ever having a chance to come to America. We're going to get reaction from a key U.S. senator tonight on the next step for this country in that case and on his role in a potential gun deal. We also have brand new numbers to show you on the eve of the next big debate. Someone's closing in on Joe Biden, and that someone is gearing up to take him on directly for the very first time tomorrow. And of course, as Anderson was telling you, and as you should need no reminder, it is 9-11. And I want us to recall what was supposed to be learned and what I fear has been forgotten. As ever, I am so sorry for those who are pained by this day. We must always remember. Let's get after it. All right, so the Supreme Court is now allowing this administration to shut the door to many Central Americans seeking asylum while the legal fight over that case continues. The case is styled or named Barr versus East Bay Sanctuary Covenant, and you can look it up. But it is really Trump versus them. The new rule would prohibit migrants who've resided in or traveled through third countries. Those people now cannot seek asylum in the U.S. if they decline to request protection at the first opportunity. In other words, they have to ask and be denied asylum in places like Guatemala or Mexico first. Now, I know Senator Richard Blumenthal is among those not happy with this decision. Let's bring in the Judiciary Committee member about this and his big role in a potential gun deal. Senator, thank you for joining, especially on this day. Thank you, Chris. What is your case against this case? As we both know, and for the, you know this very well as an established prosecutor, but for the public, you are supposed to seek asylum in the first available forum. The rule that the administration is trying to implement is, in fact, you have to seek asylum in the country that you travel through before seeking asylum here. Think for a moment what that would have meant during World War II. My dad came to this country in 1935 seeking to escape persecution in Germany. He would have been required first to seek asylum in those European countries that he traveled through, as would have been many other asylum seekers and refugees. He was 17 years old. He spoke no English. He had not much more than the shirt on his back. This country gave him a chance to succeed. The people covered by this rule, barred from seeking asylum here, are similarly seeking to escape persecution, violence, condoned by the governments in their countries, drug trafficking and threats. And this kind of rule contravenes the spirit, if not the letter of this law and the intent of Congress in passing it. Well, let me hold on the spirit for one moment. I want to address that. And I accept your premise and I surrender the point on uh, what it would have meant for people like your father to have to travel to other European countries. But it's why that would have been an undue burden on him. Uh, It would be because those countries would have been similar threats to him because of their vulnerability at that time. Can you make the same constructive argument here? Do you believe that Mexico is such a dangerous place that people in Central America that are contiguous to it, next to it, shouldn't have asylum there? Mexico already is a dangerous place for asylum seekers. G20 country. As the president himself has outlined 
the human traffickers, the gang warlords, uh, the geographic distances in the place itself and the potential for exploitation make it dangerous now. But it would be even more so if Mexico had to deal with every one of the asylum seekers coming or seeking to come to this country. We have heard reports, just to bootstrap your point, from DHS and CBP that Tijuana and other places where people have been waiting have been getting more and more dangerous and that those people, there has been a predation uh, on the people who are waiting to get into this country. Things are getting worse because of volume. That is exactly right, Chris. Uh, As the volume increases and Mexico loses control potentially of its own asylum process, and parts of the country right now are essentially lawless, those asylum seekers become more and more at the mercy of the human traffickers and drug cartels that would seek to exploit them for money and for other serious criminal victimizations. So the appeal is going to be on that basis, having read some of the early pleadings, that these countries are similarly situated uh, and there is no safe forum until these people seeking asylum come to the U.S. I really do believe, though, the ultimate remedy should be legislative. Of course, that depends on the ability of you guys to make a deal. Now, segue on that point. You're supposedly working with Senator Lindsey Graham to get something done on guns. The House passed a couple of more bills, a red flag variety and another background variety. Do you really believe that you can work with Senator Graham and get something done with this president? I absolutely believe that Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, is a serious and diligent partner. After months of negotiation and crafting and drafting a bill, we are on the verge of introducing a measure that preserves due process but takes guns away from people who are dangerous to themselves or others. And I'm very proud to be from Connecticut, the first state to adopt such a statute, an emergency risk protection order statute that enables a police officer or another law enforcement official to go to court, take a gun away from someone who is about to commit suicide or kill a spouse or intimate partner, as well as commit a mass shooting like Parkland, where, as Lindsey Graham says, the shooter all but took out an ad in the newspaper. And I believe that due process is preserved by the subsequent hearing. We've carefully crafted this law to provide grants and incentives so that more than just the 18 states that have them now will follow Connecticut's lead. And I think the White House, and specifically the president, would be denying an overwhelming seismic political dynamic. 90% of the American people favor this kind of law. No question, but Senator McConnell won't move on it unless the president says he will. The president has been sheepish about this. Uh, He's vacillated on it. Does Lindsey Graham, who, let's be honest, has been unapologetic in terms of affixing himself to this president in terms of what the president wants, does he believe this president will come on board? Lindsey Graham is a pretty good advocate. He's an experienced trial lawyer, as I am. He knows how to make the case. And I think what is as important as Lindsey Graham's advocacy is the overwhelming numbers of American people, almost 90 percent, that support emergency risk protection orders. And they work. They save lives, as do universal background checks. And our goal is to do both, I mean, speaking for myself, together because both keep guns out Does of Lindsay the hands want of dangerous universal people. background checks? I'm not going to speak for Lindsey Graham. I will. Uh, no. Well, I think that there is an 
a really seismic political dynamic, a political movement that's been generated by groups like Every Town for Gun Safety, Moms Demand Action, Students Demand Action, Brady, Giffords, uh, and yeah. many other groups across the country that I think has gotten the attention of the White House as well as my colleagues in the Senate, but it will be the president. Now, he has to lead or get out of the way. No, no, no question about it. Well, you know he's not going to get out of the way because it's got to be about him on some level. But, uh, you know, you talk about this is an unusual situation because you have a consensus in the country that isn't being echoed by its representatives in terms of action. Now, one last question for you, Senator, because there's another issue like that, but the reverse is true. There's this big impeachment vote tomorrow uh, to give the House more tools to go forward with what seems like an impeachment inquiry. They're playing with the language. They're playing with the objective. You do not have a national consensus on people wanting impeachment. What do you think of that vote tomorrow? Uh, The House should move forward with its investigation, call it an impeachment inquiry, call it an investigation, oversight. Uh, What's important is that the American people see and hear what the president has done in violating the law. And it's not only what Mueller found in his investigation, it's also his defiance of the Constitution, as I have shown in the lawsuit that we've brought based on the Emoluments Clause, because he's taken foreign payments and benefits without consent of Congress. There is a pattern of lawbreaking. The House has to vindicate it, and I hope it will. And just on the issue of bipartisanship, Part of my hope for this gun legislation is the fact that we did achieve a bipartisan compromise on immigration reform. Just a few years ago, Lindsey Graham and I and others helped to lead in an overwhelmingly passed measure that reformed a broken immigration system. So you're absolutely right. We need legislation, and it's time for us in the Senate to come together and uh, end the epidemic of gun violence just as we must end the epidemic of vaping. Look, on, the, uh, on a day like this, I'm not going to be the enemy of optimism, and maybe there is a carry-through on if they want to protect kids from something that could be a danger like e-cigarettes, maybe they'll see the same rationale in dealing with guns. Senator, thank you very much for fighting these fights. Uh, they matter you. to your constituents you. and the country. Be well. Thank you. All right, so it is the eve of the next big debate. We have a new reading of the pulse of Democratic voters. And there's one person you're going to really want to watch tomorrow because when she is on stage with the former VP, Joe Biden, for the first time, it could make all the difference. Why? That takes us inside the numbers with the Wizard of Odds. Next. Wiz. So we are on the eve of the third debate between the Democratic presidential candidates, but it will be the first big showdown. You got Joe Biden at 24 percent, Senator Elizabeth Warren gaining steam 18 percent, virtually tied with Senator Bernie Sanders, 17 percent. Now, where are they getting support from? What does it mean going into tomorrow night, especially with Biden and Warren on the same stage? Our Wizard of Odds, Harry Anton, has the answers. What do you see, handsome? What do I see? Well, it takes two to tango, my dear friend. Look at this. So this is the trend line, and I think this is rather important because there's a noticeable trend for one of these candidates, and that is the senator from the great state of Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. Back in May, she was only at 7% in our poll. Then she jumped to 15. She was kind of right around there. And now she's up to 18%. That is the largest amount of support she has had in any poll that we have conducted since late last year. Bernie Sanders says she's taking my ideas. Uh, She's riding uh, the female momentum. 
momentum wave and people didn't know who she was. That's why she's built up at basically the same place I am because we're equal. No, here's what I would say. I would say the reason that Elizabeth Warren is rising is take a look at this question. Which is more important to potential Democratic primary voters? A strong chance of beating Trump or strong positions on the major issues? A strong chance of beating Donald Trump is the number one issue for Democrats right now. They so desperately want to beat him. And so we broke down the poll like this way. So if you take a look, if you prefer a candidate who can beat Donald Trump, if that's more important to you, take a look at the movement that we've had over the last month between now and August. We've seen Biden fall on that. He's only getting 26 percent among that group now versus 35 percent in August versus Warren has jumped from 15 percent in August to 21 percent now. She, it seems, is convincing more voters at this point that she can, in fact, beat the president of the United States. And that, I believe, is a large reason why she's moving up versus Sanders, who's actually fallen backwards on that. All right. Give me more. That gives us some context going in how big tomorrow is here. I, I think that this is, to me, rather important. And, and this is the whole question for me, is whether or not Elizabeth Warren can break out from her base of support among white Democratic voters. Because right now, she's leading among whites. She's at 23 percent, Biden's at 21 percent. But take a look at Hispanics and African Americans. Elizabeth Warren is in fourth place right now among African Americans, tied for fourth with just 10 percent. Why? And among black Democrats, she's tied for third, 10 percent. There are multiple reasons why. Number one, White Democrats tend to be more liberal, which is where Elizabeth Warren's base is. They tend to be better educated. That's where her base is. But it's more than that. It's also the fact that African-American Democrats specifically, who we keep honing in on, they really love Joe Biden because they're more moderate, but also because of his connection with Barack Obama and Elizabeth Warren right now is simply put not connecting with them. So what do you think? Here's the final question. When you have to balance this potential reality with what you put weight on, which is, can I beat Trump? How big a deal is it for them to see Warren and Biden on the same stage? This is huge. If she can convince them that she can beat Donald Trump and Joe Biden can't, that's the ballgame. That's Joe Biden's path to victory. That's Elizabeth Warren's path to victory as well. Mm. Shalom. Shalom, brother. The whiz. It's not what wizards would usually say, but it's what our wizard says. A special wizard. Absolutely. The president is now taking on the growing vaping crisis in America. That is good. But here's an interesting question. If the policy for intervening at this point is it seems like it's dangerous. We know that kids are getting hurt and there seems to be a connection. So let's act before anything else happens. Why doesn't he apply that to gun violence? That will be the start of our great debate with these two great debaters. Next. So the Trump administration is now moving to ban flavored e-cigarettes. Why? Concern for children. They're coming home and they're saying, Mom, I want to vape. And the parents don't know too much about it. And nobody knows too much about it. But they do know it's causing a lot of problems. And we're going to have to do something about it. People are dying with vaping. Now, we can expect legal pushback from the companies. We've been through this before. But here's the debatable question for us tonight. The premise for action. You heard this, President. People are dying. At least six people have died from lung illnesses linked to vaping. Hundreds more are sick. But if the president is so concerned about something that's potentially lethal to kids and that seems like it's a danger... Why doesn't that rationale apply to gun violence? That's the start of tonight's great debate. Uh, We have Anna Kasparian and we have Steve Cortez. Good to have you both. Anna, first, if you agree with that premise that it should apply to gun violence, why? 
Well, I think that it makes sense to legalize and regulate things. So I am not against uh, getting rid of or banning all guns, but it makes sense to regulate, have common sense regulation for guns. The same goes for substances. Banning substances has not worked out so well for Americans or American history. We have imprisoned so many nonviolent drug offenders in our so-called drug war. And at the same time, after we've wasted so much in government resources in doing so, uh, we created a black market. And so people are going to turn to an unregulated black market where these drugs and in this case, uh, the e-cigarettes are much more dangerous. Well, is it the same thing with guns? That if you were to start really restricting access, you'd create a secondary market where certainly the bad guys would go. Well, the whole point is to pass common sense regulation, robust uh, gun control regulations that, uh, let's say, for instance, you have background checks without the loopholes, the uh, gun show loophole, uh, the loophole that gives the FBI uh, a maximum of three days to conduct a background check. There's a loophole when it comes to private sellers. Again, the point is common sense regulation. Banning things does create a black market. And in this case, the fact that Trump is so quick to go toward banning something, which, by the way, six people have died. All of them have been adults and they purchased the products on the street, which means that we need better regulation. But banning it isn't going to solve the problem. All right. So let's just stick with the through thread here, Steve. Um, Obviously, part of the momentum here is people are concerned. People are concerned. And the president's picking up on that. He's got a great gut uh, for sentimentality. So why doesn't he follow it through with you got 90 percent of people who say, all checks, uh, all sales should be checked uh, when it comes to weapons right. and who say we need red flag laws. If if you have a reasonable, you know, you got to have due process. But if right. you have a reasonable suspicion that someone, you know, is in a bad way, you should remove their access and remove their weapons for a while. That has huge consensus in this country, too. Why right. not follow the thinking through and pass those as well? Right. No. And it does as long as there's due process. But but here's the problem, I think, with with trying to draw the parallel here, uh, Chris, between vaping and guns. Uh, You know, I'm no constitutional law scholar, but when I read the Bill of Rights, I don't find vaping anywhere in there. Uh, But right after the very sacred First Amendment is the equally sacred Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. So we're talking about a constitutional right uh, versus a, you know, a cigarette, basically. But it is Uh, not an absolute right. It's not an right. We do no, have no constitutional right. rights. No, but no I, right I do want to note that for some reason we keep forgetting the uh, the second part of that uh, a constitutional protection, which means we need a you need gun control, well regulated militia. Right. I don't think that the situation we have in place right now uh, is a well regulated militia. There needs to be. Every single constitutional right has its limitations. And in this case, for some reason, while we have even limitations on the First Amendment, uh, we have a party in this country, the Republican Party, who refuses to acknowledge that there are meant to be limitations in the Second Amendment. Well-regulated militia. Let's repeat it again. Well-regulated militia. If you're going to keep repeating that, you have to know what it means. Uh, And you have to know the history and context there. And no, I don't think you do, because a well-regulated militia meant at that time of the right in the Constitution... uh, it was any male who was healthy was considered a member of the militia. So every citizen is part of the militia by the definition. Oh, I understand of the that, but I'm talking okay, so about we are, the so well-regulated part. In that, well-regulated. I'm a, I, I'm a militiaman in that regard, and we also know from the I'm other I'm not questioning outside, the militia part of it. I am talking about the regulation okay. part of the Constitution Both? that, for some reason, everyone seems to forget. 
No, hold on. And that's my second point that I'm going to get to here is, no, we're not forgetting about that. For example, machine guns have been illegal in this country for 100 years. Uh, you know, of course, no, no right is absolute. You know, we know that. And we know, for instance, that you can surrender your rights. Uh, for example, the right to vote if you're a felon. In the case of guns, if you're a felon, the right to own firearms. If you've had a domestic crime, even if it's not a felony, uh, you lose your right to firearms. And a perfect example of that, by the way, I, I'm fine with talking about, and so is the president, with talking about expanded background checks. But what's really more important Wait, hold on a second. Is that Steve, we enforce? Don't don't speak for the president. Where do you get the idea that he's okay with expanded background checks? No, he's I run said away he's from it ex- several times. With, no, with exploring it. He has he has said well, that he's open what does to that it. Mean, and exploring. And discussions are ongoing. We need to do it in such a way where it does not infringe on the on the constitutional rights. Again, we're not talking about vaping here. We're but talking we about already a have. I mean, right. I don't know if you're a gun owner, uh, but let yes. me tell you how the process works. When you go in there, they run a background check on you if you buy it at a gun right. store. Okay. Why right. wouldn't you apply that same thing to all commercial transactions? Right. Well, it's, it's only private transactions right now that are not subject to the, to the NICS laws. Uh, and I, listen, I think it would make sense to extend it No, that's it not there, true. But when also, you go to gun shows, it doesn't count. You don't have no, to do gun, it. If a, deal, if a dealer is at a gun no, show, but there are a, a lot of people who aren't dealers there I, and they can right, sell and guns. And I said private sales, that is correct about private sales. But here, let's, let's hold on to, let's talk about the efficacy for a moment. In the recent horrific shootings, particularly the ones that we had just a few weeks ago in a, that awful weekend in El Paso and Dayton, uh, both of those criminals passed background checks. Now, that, I'm not saying that means we don't have background checks. No. I think we should have them. But the idea that it's a panacea or that it's a silver bullet. Wait, hold on a second. Uh, Steve. I think, Steve, the yes. Here, weapon, hold on, hold on, uh, it, Anna, Anna. Just, just one simple point. Yes. What happened in Odessa when the guy got dinged on the background check was he exercised the loophole and he right. bought it privately, and that's right. why we're exactly. saying all commercial transactions should be checked, and then he wouldn't right. have slipped through. Right. Steve, and I'm I saying mean, I the think logic there is. I think that's a good idea. And I think we're going to end up there. And the president has said that he is open to it. Uh, but my point is not even if that, Wayne LaPierre keeps having well, conversations with him, because while Trump says, you know, he he is for common sense gun legislation. He says this after every mass shooting. All that happens afterwards is Wayne LaPierre will pull him aside, have a conversation and remind him of the 30 million dollars the NRA spent on getting him elected. And Trump immediately changes course. I mean, the NRA Twitter account brags about it. They had a pinned tweet from Wayne LaPierre talking about their conversation. So, look, Trump is easily corruptible. He might have the right instincts right after a mass shooting. But at the end of the day, money talks. All right, so, so let's end on this. We don't get the Anna Kasparian says it's not going to happen. What do you say, Steve Cortez? Do you think this red flag law, do you think that uh, universal background checks will pass? I think expanded background checks will. Red flag law, that's a whole different can of worms. Uh, and that worries me greatly because there we are talking about, I, I fear that we're talking about uh, local governments having far too much power to take away constitutional rights from individuals. So that's a different conversation. But expanded background checks, yes, I believe it's going to happen. But I would also caution people that I do not believe that that's going to solve the, the core problem of mass shootings because Almost all of these mass shooters have have gotten their guns uh, either legally because they could pass background checks or they chose to get them illegally right. by stealing guns. For that, example, the Sandy Hook. That's killer. true, too. There is no silver bullet, but we just had a shooting that would have been changed if all background checks were available. That's all I'm saying. And that's a good start. Anna Kasparian, Steve Cortez. Good to have you both on the show. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So the president spent part of this 9-11 doing the absolute right thing. He was conveying empathy and remembering what needs to be remembered on this day. 
Then he started doing other things, trashing polls, trashing his latest top aide to exit this White House, John Bolton. We're now learning that he could make a very unconventional pick to fill his role. We have reaction from a national security bigwig in Congress. What are his concerns on 9-11? What does he see as the course forward? Next. 9-11 plus 18 years. And we're learning tonight that this president may ask his secretary of state to pull double duty as the next national security advisor. Congressman Mike Rogers is a Republican from Alabama. Congressman, it's good to have you on primetime, especially today. Thanks for having me. Now, thank you for taking the invitation. I hope we do it even more often. Uh, Now, one of the reasons that you have these different positions around a president is because you want checks and balances. You want people around him with different influences. Uh, Does that reality give you any concerns about having someone fill two slots, even someone uh, who I'm sure you hold in high esteem like the secretary of state? Yeah, I served with Mike Pompeo before he left to go to work with the administration. He's an incredible intellect and a great fella. Um, But the president needs to have the kind of team he wants. You know, it's it's not unprecedented for a um, the Kissinger model uh, to be used where both Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor are, are one person. Uh, I think the president has got to make a decision about whether or not this is going to fit his style. And uh, I don't think that he's made that decision yet. Concerns, uh, given that this is your universe of thought about how safe are we, what should the policies be? You know, here we are in 9-11. We have an incomplete team. We've been through three already. This will be the fourth, assuming uh, that even if it's Pompeo. Any concerns about that? No, I, I think the president's got great instincts about what works for him and what, whether or not the, the, the workload can be managed by one person. This is a, a, a new story that's just been circulating. I haven't heard the president say he wants to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure Mike Pompeo would be comfortable with that, even if it was suggested. How do you feel about the state of our national security? Uh, I feel good. I feel proud that we've made some great strides to, to uh, particularly when it comes to our homeland, to keep us safe and secure. We've got great intelligence apparatus now to, to protect from events like what we suffered 18 years ago. Um, we've done a great job of training our first and equipping our first responders, and it's, just, it's been demonstrated repeatedly. Uh, we've got, though, a very dangerous world out there, uh, not just domestically but internationally, with more threats than, uh, than we had 18 years ago. So that's pretty sobering. Uh, certainly there is a danger without. Um, more and more we've been hearing about the danger within. Do you right. share concerns uh, about the rise of extremist right-wing violence in this country? I sure do. We had a hearing yesterday uh, in the Homeland Security Committee talking about that very fact that while we have to keep our eye on these foreign threats, uh, the growing threat here at home is uh, disturbing and it's it's given rise to our uh, paying a lot more attention to it. This online radicalization and these uh, rogue websites have really uh, energized an element of people that that can cause us great problems if we don't find a way to, to deal with it. Why now? It's just because it's growing. It's just that it has a lot to do with the uh, internet and uh, social media and these, these websites that are starting to use um, recruitment techniques that foreign terrorists used to use internationally. Now these people are using it, using it to radicalize, radicalize here in the country. We had a report from the FBI in May that they currently have over 1,000 cases open on people on our soil mm-hmm. that are uh, terrorists, domestic uh, terrorists that may be uh, radicalized by foreign uh, terrorist organizations 
or from uh, right wing or left wing uh, groups here in the country. But this is a growing trend and I think it has more to do with the way information is communicated uh, than anything else. I don't understand the partisan apportionment on this thing. For us, hate is hate, right? Right, uh, right. I'm sure you and I agree on that. But there seems to be a partisan instinct of saying, well, if we're going to talk about Nazis or right wing extremists, you got to talk about those people in Antifa also. Not only do the statistics not support that, but the killing is clearly coming from one aspect of this. Why make it partisan? You know, these people aren't you don't own the right wing extremists in the Republican Party. Antifa right. isn't part of the Democratic Party. Why not just focus on them instead of playing politics with it, as we've seen from the president? Well, that's not what I've seen. And I know I didn't see it yesterday in our hearing. We had a great panel that, that just of a tremendous uh, uh, experts, and uh, they didn't paint that picture. They painted it as one that where well, we have to look at the complete spectrum. You're exactly right. The largest percentage of the of the terrorism has come from right wing groups, but they made the point we have to keep our eye on the full spectrum because the others are getting more aggressive too. Sure. And that was the only point that was made, and it wasn't a partisan point. Uh, I was. Uh, tickled by the fact, because I've been on this committee since it was established, uh, in fact, when it was still a select committee, and uh, we generally aren't very partisan. In yesterday's hearing, there was no partisanship. Great. We took this with a very sober uh, approach, and at the end of the hearing, both the chairman and I made the comment that this is one of the best hearings we ever had because we took it as Americans. We were looking at this problem as Americans, and there was not a scintilla of partisanship in this hearing. Well, look, that is a gift uh, on it's, 9-11 it's and hopefully an indication of a way forward. I'm all fine with you guys having partisan fights as long as it winds up with finding some common ground to actually do something right. for the rest of us. And let right. me uh, do my part. Congressman Mike Rogers, you are always welcome on this show to talk well, about you. policy and what matters even if there's a disagreement on the questions, there will be decency that motivates them all. I promise you that. Thank you. All right. Be well, Congressman. Thank you. So just how far would you go? All right. Help me with this. This is, a, this is a good turn. You're going to like this. You want to take the perfect picture. You want it to pop on Instagram. You want people to really come. Would you do something death defying or just dumb? D. Lemon, big on Instagram. How is he on this? Let's ask him. Put him to the test. Next. All right. Now, here's one of these situations where I feel we just have to say, seriously, some people think they're daring, but are they just being plain dumb? The Internet is embroiled in this heated debate over this photo. You see it? A young woman being held over the edge of a cliff in the Peruvian Andes. The caption reads in part, there is a difference between risking your life and taking a risk at having one. Now, couldn't you make that point without hanging off a GD cliff? And it's not the first time the couple has come under fire for risking their lives just for effect. In April, they posted themselves of uh, this picture in Bali. Take a look at this. We have it. I mean, are you kidding me? Can you zoom in on that a little bit just for those of us who aren't eagles? There we go. I mean, I hope he's got a good grip. D. Lemon. Yes. What's your take what on you this? What do you want to know? What's your take on this? <sighs> okay, here's my take. Are you crazy? No, here's what I have to say. I, they are a beautiful couple. And there is so much hate on social media that I don't want to hate this couple. I think they're a beautiful couple. It's part of their brand. Would I do it? Hail to the no. I would. So you're saying it. that you are immune to the draw of doing the sensational to get 
attention on Instagram. Absolutely. You I wouldn't really, do it. I don't care that much. I think there's, I think the people that that's a picture. Would I hang over a mountain and, and let someone, hell no, I wouldn't even do it. My, I wouldn't even stand on the edge of that mountain. Nothing like it. Nothing close. Picture. Nothing like nothing it. It's not even, in you. Not even in me because I don't have that much to prove. That is nothing. That's me just jumping off the side of a boat. That is inherently <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> No, it's not. Look at that. Look at all that moving up and down as you're going down. Just the momentum not, of the belly alone that was <laughs> increased the G-force. Oh, this, is, this is payback for last night. That's me. I mean, that's crazy. With my family, my family came to town, and my friend offered us I don't to see any family. You know, I didn't see any family. My nieces were on that boat. My I didn't see any nieces. Go back boat. to it again. Let's see who's yeah, there. It was on. They're the guys up there were so scared, you scared off half their bathing suits. They're behind the... <laughs> See my nieces back there? You can see them if you look at it when it comes I hear back cries of help. And what else do we yeah. got from D. Lemon's so, uh, Instagram that shows that he will do anything for a laugh? What else do we have? Watch this. Watch this. Ladies and gentlemen, America's news anchor. You know that pool. That's my backyard. I mean, the pool's not the problem. It's the fool, not the pool. Are you comparing that to hanging off oh, the side yeah. of the mountain? Oh, yeah. It's all relative. Those people are like these young hard bodies. We're talking about guys like me and you. This is as dangerous as we get. I'm going to get you. I'm going I mean, to get you, sucker. You are. Don't make me hop after you. Listen, that's, listen. I'm just saying, as your friend, you need to keep it in check. <laughs> but that's it's not worth it, D. Lemon. It's not worth it. Oh, my. Don't you think it's different than hanging off the side of a mountain? And I'm not. Look, it's all relative. Squeezing yourself into them tiny little swimming trunks you had on. <laughs> Fitting that extra pair of socks in there, too. <laughs> I know. You're paying me back for last night for telling me. I don't Jimmy know what you're Kimmel talking about. That you ate steroids for lunch. Who would you say that to? Jimmy Kimmel said, what, Jimmy Kimmel asked me, he said, because you're such a big guy and you work out a lot. He goes, what does Chris Cuomo eat? Does he just eat raw meat? And and I said, I said, besides steroids and the whole audience was crazy. I was like, and I looked at the camera and I said, I'm joking, Chris. And I got, well, maybe I'm not. Ooh, but that was it. Nice. So that's, that's definitely. And then he said, you guys must be friends in order for you to say that. So that's it. All right. But oh. you didn't have to. So I'm going to start busting out your Instagram. Listen, I don't do dangerous things. Really? Not for attention. I just do them because I'm dumb. Oh, this is like when you're holding up your picture of the fish that you took with your shirt off, and you're like, oh, look at the picture of the fish. You can't even see the fish. All you can see is your bicep. That's you. That's on that's, you. No, that's, that's you. on you. That's, that's you. on you. There's right. a fish in the picture. I have to go now. I'll do what you do best. Mark Sanford is going to be on. The, the president's primary challenger. Oh, stop it. Don't be a hater. Mark Sanford up at the top of the show on D. Lemon. We'll be with him in just one second. Now, as we go to break, change your tone. It is good to smile. I love D. Lemon. He makes my life better, especially on a heavy day. But I want us to look back at what we're remembering today, okay? And what never forget was supposed to mean and what it means all too often. Stay with me for this. Next. Never forget. That's what we say about 9-11, right? Certainly easy to say but tough to do. First, may I say how sorry I remain for the loss that far too many suffered on that day. I know it never goes away. I know this day can bring the blessing of an occasion to remember loved ones and often a haunting reminder of life-changing tragedy. And most of the time, both come at once. I was there. This dust or ash or amalgam was given to me by a friend who saw me there. Some of it was on me, on all of us for days. 
The stories of heroism and loss and pain and confusion shaped me and so many personally and professionally. Seeing the emptying of optimism on the faces of those ready to help when no injured came. The cold reality that so many were gone. The little hospital that did see hundreds in the first wave and rose to the challenge. Amazing. The little hospital that could. NYU downtown. The days of searching and hoping and praying. The surrender to the reality that there was no miraculous discovery to be made. That so many being looked for were not in a hospital somewhere, but exactly where you would never want anyone to be. What we all saw and heard and smelled as those buildings fell and that cloud, that dense, all-consuming cloud that seemed to contain every physical and emotional piece of contents, covered everything and then fell at our feet and on our faces. The quiet, the cries, none of it will be forgotten. I would be engaged 11 days after 9-11, convinced that life was far too fleeting to wait was the best move of my life. And it came from a place of seeing such abject pain. It was made in a haze of uncertainty that would be clarified time and again with the additions of each of our kids and the blessings of my life. A marriage and a family that bore testament for me to the possibility of better, that fate had not forever surrendered outcomes of only the darkest kind. We would get better. And there was better that came quickly to counter the worst. There was unfathomable amounts of positive response. The tremendous admiration for the many who gave their lives that day in saving whom they could, recovering those they couldn't. 2,977 gone, but remembered by family and in the commitment of those who went to fight for the rest of us to make sure this would never happen the same way again. There's never been in my lifetime a bigger demonstration of the best and worst mankind has to offer. 9-11, never forget. No one can who was there. And yet it has proven to be much easier to say than to act on, hasn't it? Look at the immorality and inequity and disgusting politics at play with the Victims' Compensation Fund. These men and women who spend so many billions in Washington on things they can't even recall felt it right to shortchange those who served the rest of us on our darkest day. The heroes we lionized, that we trotted out everywhere for months and years. Every big shot wanted a picture with a first responder. And then our leaders became the picture of betrayal. Thankfully, public shaming, some political will, got the money to the victims of that day and the aftermath just to pay for treatments that forestall the diseases that are killing them to this day and for years to come. Never forget, 18 years on, I would shift that motto to a positive opposite. Always remember the fragility of life, the need to stay connected to what happens here to anyone, because there but for the grace, it could be you. And especially these days, we need always remember that the differences plaguing us now are meaningless relatively. We know real threats And they should not come from our politics. Tearing at our fabric is anathema to the momentous mending we went through after 9-11. It is a poison to what saved us in the days and weeks after. We came together. We were all in it 
together. And that was made so painfully obvious. Always remember that. We have seen the worst and we should always remember that the responsibility of living is to appreciate and make the most of what we have been gifted here in this country together. The freedom, the accommodations that some hate elsewhere, we must always embrace. With so many so determined to take us down, we must always remember that our preservation as a nation depends on us protecting one another. 9-11, never forget, always remember. Thank you for watching CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.